All right, well, good morning, apes. And uh, yes, it is still morning here, so good morning, apes. Happy Monday morning. Coming at you live from uh, the Daily Peel Global Headquarters today. But as you guys can see, we had a little bit of a decorational change here. We'll get into exactly what's going on and all that. It's that Shohei Otani money coming through. I mean, we'll be talking about that in just a little bit here. But that's what's allowed us to move into this very fancy house within the Daily Peel Global Headquarters here. Uh, we're coming at you live. It is 11.43 a.m. on Monday, December 11th, 2023. Daily Peel number 603. we got a lot to talk about here today. So without beating around the bush any further, we can dive right into it. Actually, the only bush I do want to beat around real quick is obviously my sweet new haircut here. So if anybody has anything to say, please feel free to let me know here. I mean, shout out to my boy Jalen for the sweet haircut. If you're in the Charlotte area, definitely go check him out. Uh, but anyway, moving on to today's Daily Peel. Here we go. We had, of course, the non-farm payrolls report drop on this past Friday. Obviously, that's pretty much what everybody was looking forward to over the past couple of weeks. We've been freaking out about it for at least several days, several weeks leading up to it without too much to talk about going in because there wasn't really a whole lot of live or big economic releases at that point, but we finally got one, so the wait is over. We also did get a few more earnings reports and other kind of nonsense going on in the stock market. Obviously, we're going to talk about that stuff. And then the largest deal in the history of worldwide sports was signed this weekend, Shelby Otani and the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll dive into that down below because that is some crazy stuff. We're going to compare it to some of the other biggest contracts of all time. But before we do, let's see how markets did on Friday. Overall, it was a pretty nice day, pretty nice way to end the week and head into the weekend in a relatively good mood. The Russell 2K, the small caps over there, led with the 76 basis point gain. The Dow was the laggard of the day with a 36, uh, 36 basis point gain as well. Obviously, WSO Alpha, nobody's surprised. Durastic underperformance, only a 17 basis point gain on the day. I mean, if anybody has anything they want me to pass over to them, I'll go run over. Pretty sure they're over uh, there playing squash or uh, it's a rich people game that they're playing with Shobi Otani. I mean, it is just absolutely ridiculous. But if anybody has any messages to pass along, I'm happy to do so. Treasury yield spiked in response to the jobs report as well. They didn't spike hugely, but it was definitely a sizable move. Two-year getting back up to 4.75% after having been down in the 4.6-ish uh, percent range prior. Now, we got the 10-year down to about 4.25%. That's about a 10 basis point gain as well on Friday. So pretty big for treasuries overall, but not you know anything massive to uh, set the world on fire about or anything here. So Macy's is having a great week already, getting into some of the main stories that came out this weekend and Friday afternoon here that we didn't get a chance to write about. Macy's having a great week. They got a $5.8 billion rumored buyout offer going on. Uh, you know, sure. Actually, let's go ahead and take a look at this. Share price, see how that's reacting so far. Macy stock up 18.98% up today. Closing in on that acquisition price down here. Not quite there just yet. There's about $300 million left in on for all you arbitragers out there. Go ahead and check that out. If you're confident, if you love Macy's, you can see what's going on there. Now, moving on down below, we talked a little bit, a little while, probably about a month or so ago, about how investors were starting to tweak a little bit about the U.S.'s ability to continue to raise funds through debt sales. Uh, investors are still freaking out about that. That fear hasn't gone anywhere. We haven't talked about it in quite a while here, but it's definitely all too present. At the same time, President Zelensky is having his own fundraising troubles as well. He's coming to D.C. once again after hearing that Congress might have to, uh, you know, cut off those funds going out over there. And then, of course, we wanted to highlight the November jobs report for Friday, give you the link to that. Feel free to go check it out. Not too touch stuff here. But going on down into the actual report itself, 
the numbers definitely were not all that tough. The U.S. economy added 199,000 jobs last month. Economists had that pegged at 190,000. Nobody's ever surprised when economists get something wrong. Uh, so we can't give them too much flack there because overall it is a pretty good guess for what they're used to. Now, uh, if we go ahead and take a look a little bit deeper here, we can see the unemployment rate fell back down to 3.7% last month. Let's go ahead and take a look at the real report here. So if we go ahead and scroll or zoom in, excuse me, under these charts here, the only or the easily the most important part of the report, we can see we tick back down from about a 3.9% unemployment level last seen in the month prior. We're at 3.7% by the end of November. As you can see, non-farm payrolls, the total additions is kind of in a slow, gentle decline here. We did get a slight uptick, but it wasn't anything too crazy to write home about. What is wild to see, though, however, that we wanted to talk about is the all-time unemployment rate here. So this is the entire American history of unemployment going back to 1950 or late 1940s, because that's when the Fed decided to actually keep track of the stuff. If they did during the Great Depression, this these bumps right here wouldn't even look like anything. I mean, this would be the only other uptick you would be able to see because we did hit ridiculous 25% levels of unemployment back then. As you can see here, we're now back down to the 3.7% range. This is something we haven't seen since we were sending guys back up to the moon way back in the day uh, with the, you know, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon administrations way back. So we haven't been there since then. Of course, we were down below 3% back in the 1950s, immediately post-World War II, but that's not what matters for us today. Market reacted decently well. You know, it wasn't really too much of a surprise in either direction, so it's no surprise to see that there wasn't much of a surprise, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Now, the good thing about this is it does seem like Jay Powell's plan for a soft landing is actually on track, much like that pilot who was able to, uh, like, save the plane from crashing and burning, who just, like, landed it into a pod, basically. That's essentially what Jay Powell's doing with the economy here. Uh, you know, with it not being too much of a surprise, there really wasn't much to talk about here. We go ahead and take a look at some wage growth. Actually still going decently well, despite what people might be feeling. So wages did see about 0.8% growth in real terms year over year. That's using uh, this month's, you know, on a, or this month's earnings growth of about 4% for the annual from November 2022 to November 2023, compared against the October CPI report. Now we'll get an updated CPI report tomorrow, so definitely stay tuned for that and use that as your reference. But as of right now, it's 0.8% uh, real growth annually, 0.4% real growth for the month. Definitely not something to get mad about. Purchasing power is increasing. We always love to see it. Everybody's working hard out here, apparently. Labor market's looking good. Uh, so maybe don't try to escape the matrix just yet, despite the fact that pretty much everybody on social media is telling you what to do. Your wages are increasing. The jobs are there if we want them. So let's see what happens. I mean, it was overall fairly good report. We'll see if that all changes tomorrow with the CPI report. I mean, you guys know what happens when there's a surprise there. Very well could see everything crash and burn. Speaking of the opposite of crashing and burning, let's go ahead and take a look at Paramount Global. So everybody loved the TV show Succession because of the absolutely unhinged, drunken family drama going on behind the scenes. It was some of the most wild shit TV has ever seen. Go check it out on HBO if you haven't already. Fantastic show, but we go ahead and look at a real-life example of that in Paramount Global. So this guy, Sumner Redstone, who was one of the dopest names I've ever heard of all time, he basically took his father's like movie chain business and turned it into the media empire. That is Viacom CBS that has controlling interest in names like Paramount Global and other names like that. Uh, Sumner and his family are apparently a lot more stable than those the Roy family on succession here. Seem like they might even eat dinner and look at they might even eat dinner with each other and actually make eye contact once in a while. I know it's crazy stuff to hear about a family, but either way, that seems to be what's going on. Sherry Redstone, Sumner's eldest daughter, not the eldest boy like Kendall Roy, but the eldest girl. 
uh, is the one who is basically taking things over since under pass last week. She's trying to get out of the game already. She's definitely not sticking around for, you know, hard battle with takeover interests or anything else that might happen. She's looking to make her bag and get out. Uh, so she is looking to float a sale. We've already seen some interest from private equity shops like Redbird, Skydance, other places like that. So the stock was up big time on the potential sale of that ownership stake. Moving on down to Lululemon, the most overpriced clothing brand in the history of humanity, probably. I mean, we can't really deny that their clothes are sick, but man, with those prices, it is really tough to miss an earnings report. And of course, they didn't last week either, or last uh, last quarter either. We saw about $2.2 billion of revenue, just ahead of the $2.19 billion expected. Earnings at $2.53 a share versus $2.28 per share. Absolutely dominated. Cost cutting was going a little bit better. The demand is huge, and the fourth quarter is the biggest one for Lulu every year. I mean, one of the greatest presents that you could possibly bestow upon somebody is a pair of so nice Lulu joggers or leggings or whatever the hell else people buy from this store. I mean, it's very high-quality stuff that nobody ever wants to buy for themselves because we all know it's ridiculously overpriced and you feel a little bit silly doing it. So instead of buying it for yourself, go buy it for somebody else and hope that somebody else does it for you here. Either way, as long as you're contributing to the economy, we're all going to be happy. Moving on down below to RH, uh, Restoration Hardware, formerly known as much like Prince changing his name to literally nothing. That's essentially what Restoration Hardware did. Uh, and with that, stock price plummeted on Friday. Not because of that name change, although I feel like that has something to do with it because having the same name as your ticker is mildly annoying to look at if you're a trader, if you're a writer, or anything else like that. Absolutely hate to see this, but either way, let's get into what actually happened. So this firm did drop their earnings report as well. Essentially, uh, what happened is... Uh, the luxury, mostly furniture retailer with some other stuff was able to kind of come out and uh, release their earnings report. Really did not go well because the housing market is completely frozen here. So with no new household formation or anything else like that going on, really hasn't been much for restoration hardware to do. They didn't blame themselves. Obviously, they just pointed a finger at J-PAL and essentially uh, that's all they're going to do here. Um, it's just kind of suffer in silence until rates go back down and household formation actually begins again. Now, we are in a bit of a time crunch here this morning, Dave, so we're going to go back down to the Thought Banana section here, one of the craziest stories of the entire year. There is a new king of the largest sports contract in the history of global sports here. Before we get into the story, let's go ahead and look at some of the other ones. This is Wikipedia, excuse me, Wikipedia's list of largest sports contracts of all time. As you can see, it has not been updated to reflect this weekend just yet. Maybe someone who edits uh, Wikipedia out there can go ahead and do so. But I wanted to showcase this because Shohei is getting $700 million for 10 years to play in the MLB for the Los Angeles Dodgers. If we go ahead and take a look here, uh, we can see some comparisons to that. So 70, $700 million for 10 years, that's going to be $70 million annually. So as crazy and ridiculous as the headline number sounds, we go ahead and take a look. It's not that ridiculous on an average per year basis. So Lionel Messi is dominating. Cristiano Ronaldo is dominating. Patrick Mahomes is essentially broke, only making $45 million a year. Uh, but everybody else that you see on here is pretty ridiculous. But one of the other really cool things that Wikipedia did that I definitely didn't have the time or knowledge to do is the average per game or event. As we see, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is making $7 million every game. Uh, Kareem Benzema, same thing. They're actually pretty much on the exact same uh, contract, services, whatever you want to call it. But if we're looking at a per game event, the highest paid athlete in the world is actually a boxer, Canelo Alvarez. I'm sure a lot of you have made a lot of money betting on his fight because he seems to win everything. Guys getting over $33 million per fight for a five-year contract with Dazen, Dazen. I don't really know how to spell it at all. But 
Another interesting thing to see is tied with Alvarez in the largest kind of gross contract value. Uh, there's another player for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Mr. Mookie Betts, formerly of the Boston Red Sox, RIP to when he was over here playing with us. I mean, just a sad day to see him leave, but hey, good for you. Go get your bag, Mookie, just like Shohei did too. So let's go ahead and take a look. Shohei Otani, this guy is 29 years old, Japanese born, born in 1994. That's just going to make you feel terrible if you're born in the 1990s as well, that this guy is coming out here, gets $700 million. Well, we're all sitting at home probably making not even 0.01% of that in an entire year. But either way, game, respect, game, we already went over. This kind of stuff in the other largest contract. Speaking of game, respect, game, let's take a look at some of Otani's absolutely insane stats. This guy is a pitcher, he's a hitter, and he's one of the best at both in the entire league. In 2021, he actually was selected as an all-star for both sides of the plate. Both as a pitcher and as a position player, he's a designated hitter, so it's really just for his hitting ability. The first MLB player in history to have 10 plus home runs and over 100 strikeouts in a season. First Japanese player to hit for the cycle, which in case you don't know, is hitting single, double, triple, and a home run in a single game. It's essentially like winning the triple crown. It's one of the most difficult things to do in all of sports. But he's also the fastest pitch ever by a Japanese player. And if that's not good enough, he also has the most home runs in a single season by a Japanese player as well. Uh, needless to say, he was the AL MVP in 2021. Probably a good few more of those coming down the line as well. But either way, that's the kind of stuff that we love to see, this absolute ridiculousness. And these are all-time comparisons as well. So keep in mind that drunken alcoholics like Babe Ruth, who were widely considered to be some of the greatest athletes to ever live at their time, they're still on some of these lists just because of how absolutely ridiculous sports were back there. I'm pretty sure you could walk up to the pitching mound with a little flask in your back pocket, take a few swigs in between pitches. I mean, if that was still a rule, maybe I would have pursued my baseball career a little bit harder, stuck around a little bit, and actually made it to the league because that sounds awesome. But as we can see, Otani, I'm just guessing here, likely won't be too long before he is the fifth or uh, at least joins the list of athlete billionaires. So we have on that list already LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Magic Johnson. Uh, pretty interesting stuff because somebody like LeBron, he's 37. He made it pretty much all from earnings and sponsorship deals, most notably with Nike and his shoes and everything. Then we have Michael Jordan. Do I even need to say more? I mean, his shoes are some of the biggest things on earth. Tiger Woods, 46 years old. Yes, he probably lost a ton on that divorce way back in the day, which was hysterical. Guy still managed to become a billionaire in 2022. Absolute legend. And, of course, Magic Johnson at 64 years old, the oldest one to become an athlete billionaire. Not through anything that you'd probably be thinking of. Magic actually owns a huge stake in a joint venture insurance company for some reason, which I can't even possibly imagine why that is. But either way, it made him a billionaire, which is $1 billion more dollars than I'm ever going to have in my life. So definitely can't be, uh, I can't be heckling from the cheap seats up here, literally from the cheap seats. Now, like we said, Otani won't be too long behind. Now we just got to say how much bigger can sports business become? Is there any way for us apes to get some cash off this? I mean, there are, there have been ideas floated about tokenizing sports contracts and allowing people to invest in stuff like that. That would be a really interesting thing. Imagine you bought uh, like calls in Shobi Otani back in 2018 or 2017 when he signed with the Angels. And now, you know, you definitely would have made a bag off that right alongside with him. Moving on down below for a quote of the day, we got Mr. Charlie Munger once again, RIP. We should really just be quoting him for the rest of the year at this point, just to honor him. Uh, and because he's one of the most quotable people to ever set foot on Wall Street. And as evidence of that, he wants that a great business at a fair price. It's far superior to a fair business at the great price. That's one of the biggest things that he apparently taught Warren Buffett. And although Warren Buffett has about 50 times the wealth as him, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but either way, thank you guys very much for coming and joining us here today. 
in Shohei Otani's living room. I mean, I'm having a great time here with them. The whole team is. We might have to move the entire Global Daily Appeal headquarters to here, but we'll find out tomorrow if we're actually able to secure that deal. Definitely stay tuned because I'm sure you're going to want to see that. And we will see you guys next time. Happy trading out there, Apes. We'll see you tomorrow morning. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. Until next time.